0: following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Um, so I know here that we are used to one-point sermons or three-point sermons, um, but to say that today has a structure is generous. So I'm sorry for that. Uh, if I ramble or if it seems like I have just kind of thought soup. Um, but what we are going to be talking about is something that's been on my heart and mind for a few months now, and it's something that I find really interesting and have been kind of passionate about. Um, so before we dive in, let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for this day. Thankful for, um, just the fact that we can gather together, um, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, we know that the, the church isn't the building, Lord, but it sure is nice to have a building to gather together. Um, in, and um, so thankful that uh, we can all gather here, and um, worship Your name, and sing along, and um, raise our voices to You. I pray that You would bless this time as we talk about truths from Scripture, um, and just hear what Your Spirit has to say. Amen. So, who here is familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia? Okay, awesome, a lot. Um, so. If you don't know, The Chronicles of Narnia is a series of seven books written by C.S. Lewis, um, who is an author from the U.K., and he lived in the early 1900s. So last year, in 2022, I decided to read each book from this series, mostly because I never um, read them before, and I was already a fan of C.S. Lewis's writings. And I thought, okay, maybe someday I might want to read these to my son, Parker, and um, future children, but I kind of wanted to know what the content was or what the reading level was so, you know, they would understand. And if you know anything about this series, you know that The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe is easily the most popular series. And it's essentially the gospel story um, told through the genre of fantasy. Uh, And we'll talk about that particular book in a little bit. But as I went through the series, knowing that much, um, what I didn't know was that there's biblical truths throughout all of those books. And so as I started reading them, I started taking notes about, okay, where in the Bible do we see what C.S. Lewis is talking about? Um, And it's just full of it. And so I thought that was really interesting. He tells the story of the Bible in different ways, using kings and queens, talking animals, um, and using adventures and just thrilling tales. Um, So essentially that's what I wanted to talk about was the parallels between what you can read in Narnia um, and in the Bible and how C.S. Lewis kind of integrated them. So like any good story, we are giving the beginning of this world called Narnia that C.S. Lewis um, uses to write his stories. The first book um, it's called The Magician's Nephew. So, I'm going to read. Uh, two main characters uh, in this book um, is a boy and a girl. And in chapter 8, they find themselves witnessing the creation of a new place, this place, Narnia. And so this morning, I'm going to read um, kind of short summaries of these books, um, and then we're going to take a look and see where we find that in Scripture as well. So uh, the first... um, Excerpt is going to be from the book called The Magician's Nephew, chapter 8, which says In the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice began to sing. There were no words, there was hardly even a tune, but it was beyond comparison the most beautiful noise they had ever heard. Then, two wonders happened at the same time. One was that the voice was suddenly joined by other voices voices, they were in harmony with it. The second wonder was that the blackness overhead, all at once, was blazing with stars. One moment, there had been nothing but darkness. Next moment, a thousand points of light leapt out. Far away and down near the horizon, the sky began to turn gray. The sky in that place grew slowly and steadily paler. Then the eastern sky changed from white to pink, and from pink to gold. The voice rose and rose, till all the air was shaking with it. And just as it swelled to the mightiest and most glorious sound it had yet produced, the sun arose. The earth was of many colors. They made you feel excited, until you saw the singer himself. And then you forgot everything else. It was a lion, huge, shaggy, and bright it stood, Facing the risen sun. So here, C.S. Lewis is painting the picture of this um, place called Narnia coming into existence, being um, created just by the voice of this this creature or this lion. Everything's coming together the stars, the sun, um, and as he goes forward in this part of the book, um, you see that there's going to be land, there's grass and there's trees, and eventually he fills it with um, creatures as well. And so to parallel that, we're going to look at Genesis 1 and read verses 1 to 19. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. To rule over the day and over the night. And to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. So just as we see um, in this first book from the Chronicles of Narnia, when we read Genesis, what we find is that there is a creator. And that is foundational in our faith. It's, It's foundational because this right here is how we know. We can look around us, but at the same time, some people just think, well, this formed just out of happenstance, or it formed out of coincidence. But we receive the word of our Creator right here, and He tells us, He lets us know, no, it was I. I was the Creator. and He created all that we see around us. (coughs) So the next thing I want to talk about after creation is God's providence. So, God's providence is seen in the next book, um, which is called The uh, Horse and His Boy, and the main character of this story is called Shasta. So, what's happening in this scene right here that I pulled um, some quotes from, he's riding his horse through the mountains to warn a king about another king who wants to come with his army and invade that kingdom. So, he's taking this long and tiring trip through the mountains. And being very tired and having nothing inside him, he felt so sorry for himself that tears rolled down his cheeks. What put a stop to this was a sudden fright. Shasta discovered that someone or something was walking beside him. It was pitch dark and he could see nothing. The thing or person was going so quietly that he could hardly hear any footfalls. What he could hear was breathing. His invisible companion seemed to breathe on a very large scale. He had come to notice this breathing so gradually that he had no idea how long it had been there. It was a horrible shock. If the horse had been any good, or if he had known how to get any good out of it, he would have risked everything on a breakaway. But he knew that he couldn't make the horse gallop, so he went on walking alongside the unforeseen companion, the unseen companion. At last he could bear it no longer. Who are you, he said, scarcely above a whisper. One who has waited long for you to speak. You're not not—you're not a ghost, are you? Oh, please, please, do go away. He heard the thing exhale and felt its warm breath on his hand and his face. There, it said, that is not the breath of a ghost. Tell me your sorrows. Shasta was a little reassured by the breath. So he told how he had run from the place he was raised, the story of his his escape, and how he was chased by lions, about his night among the tombs, and how jackals howled at him from the desert. He told about his thirst and hunger in the desert, and how when he was almost at his goal, yet another lion chased him and his horse, and also how very long it was since he had had anything to eat. I do not call you unfortunate, said the large voice. Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions? There was only one lion, said the voice. What do you mean? I've just told you there were at least two the first night, and then there was only one. But he was swift foot. How do you know? I was that lion. I was the lion that followed you as you left your home and drove you to join your friend, Aravis. <laughs> I was the cat that kept the jackals at bay as you slept in the desert. I was the lion who gave your horse new strength for that last mile so you could reach the king in time. And I was the lion you don't remember who pushed the boat in which you lay as a babe so that it came to shore where a man sat awake and received you. So here, what I believe is that C.S. Lewis is portraying the truth of God's providence um, over creation and over our lives. So the scripture, um, just a small verse, is uh, Proverbs 16, verse 33, which says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So, there is um, this belief that when you when you cast lots, it was kind of a way um, in the Old Testament times to make a decision. You know, you cast your lots among your friends to kind of decide things. Um, but this wasn't like a random act of like, okay, well, I'm going to flip a coin and whatever it lands on, that's the path I'm going to go. It was the belief that God is in control of these lots and as we cast them, it's God's will, um, however they fall. So, C.S. Lewis is trying to, I believe, betray the um, truth of God's providence here. And God's providence is the act of his wise and holy preservation and governing of all his creatures and all of their actions. God, according to his own will, keeps all creatures in being, involves himself in all events, and directs all things to their appointed end. So God the Father, the creator of everything, keeps and sustains everything. He didn't just create and then stand back to watch everything unfold. The same God who made the heavens and the earth and made you continues to sustain you and keep your atoms together and continues to give you breath. This should be an assurance to us. God's providence uh, should assure us that we are never in the grip of blind fortune, luck, or coincidence. All that happens is divinely planned. And all of it is an opportunity for us to express trust, obedience, and rejoice. The things that God puts before us are not always easy, they're not always fun, and they're not always pleasant. I'm sure we've all experienced this at one point in time. But God is with us through all of it. And C.S. Lewis clearly alludes to this truth in the paragraphs from the book we just read. So now we move into the most popular book of the series, um, The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Um, and it's here that we begin to see aspects of the gospel. And so we're going to see how um, C.S. Lewis writes about temptation and betrayal. Um, if you're familiar with the story, then you know um, the characters was it Peter, Edmund, Lucy, and Susan? And so they find their way into Narnia through a wardrobe. And, um, and Edmund has kind of been lying about going there, um, which frustrates one of his siblings who's been there previous. But he comes across um, this figure or this lady, um, who we find out who she is later. Uh, she portrays herself to be a queen, the queen of Narnia. And so she comes upon this child in the coal, And she says, My poor child, she said in quite a different voice, How cold do you look? Come and sit with me here on my sleigh, and we shall talk. Edmund did not like this arrangement at all, but he dared not disobey. As he stepped onto her sleigh, she wrapped him up in one of her fur robes. Perhaps something hot to drink, said the queen. Yes, please, your majesty, said Edmund. It is dull to drink without eating, said the queen. What would you like best to eat? Turkish delight, please, your majesty. The queen let another drop fall from her bottle onto the snow, and instantly there appeared a round box, which, when opened, revealed several pounds of Turkish delight. While he was eating, the queen kept asking him questions. She seemed especially interested in finding out he had three siblings. Son of Adam, I should so much like to meet your brother and two sisters. Will you bring them to me? I'll try, said Edmund now looking at an empty box. Because if you came here again, bringing them with you, of course, I'd be able to give you more Turkish delight. I'll do my best, said Edmund. And as the story goes on, Edmund does return with his siblings to Narnia. And when they're all gathered and having dinner together, he sneaks off to find the witch, and he tells him where his brothers and sisters are hiding from her. So, parallel to scripture, um, Matthew Chapter 26, verses 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. So the parallel between this point here and the line Witch in the Wardrobe and the parallel with Scripture is we know how both of these stories unfold. Um, Edmund betrays his siblings and has the White Witch try to go after them. We know here that Judas Iscariot sells out Jesus and there's a plot to capture and to kill Jesus. Um, And then Judas in the Garden even identifies which one of these people amongst us Um, small group, is Jesus in the garden by giving him a kiss. Um, And so he brings um, the chief priests and the Pharisees and identifies Jesus in that way for them to capture him. Now, there's a character in this series that I've mentioned in passing, but I haven't said his name yet. He's the most important character in the entire series. Does anybody know who that is? Okay. Um, So who is Aslan in this book? He is a large lion. He is the creator of Narnia. And who do we think Aslan represents in the Bible when we talk about it? Jesus. Jesus. Awesome. Easy. Um, So, knowing that, as we go forward, this is going to become very important, of course. So, the next uh, thing I want to talk about is sacrifice and redemption. Still talking about the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe because, again, it tells the entire gospel story. Edmund has betrayed his siblings, and when his siblings finally reach Aslan, they ask him to save Edmund. And a rescue party is sent out. And so what they do is the rescue party goes, and um, in the book, they capture Edmund, or save Edmund, and bring him back to camp. And there's an exchange between Edmund and Aslan. Um, We're not really told what goes on between them, but just a sense that Aslan has brought him back into the fold. He's forgiven him. He's under his protection now. And his siblings don't need to talk to him about what he's done. It's, it's forgiven. It's done. It's complete. So then, the following, um, that following day, the witch comes into the camp looking for Edmund. And this is what she says. You have a traitor there, Aslan, said the witch. Of course, everyone present knew that she meant Edmund. Well said, Aslan. Aslan. Uh, But his offense was not against you. The witch's voice grew shrill. You know that every traitor belongs to me as my lawful prey, and that for his treachery I have claim on his life. Aslan and the witch then spoke alone, and as they came back all heard Aslan's voice. I have settled the matter. She has renounced her claim on your brother's life. So to everybody looking in on this exchange, Even Aslan had settled this himself. Um, But what goes on to happen is that that evening, Aslan goes and gives himself over to the witch. He lays himself on this table and he gives up his life. And we understand that he gives up his life for Edmund. Parallel, Jesus on the cross gives up his life for us. Again, back to um, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Kind of uh, on the next few scenes is the two sisters realize Aslan is gone. They go looking for him, and they find him uh, laid upon this table. And they see him tied up, and that he's been shaved, and he's been completely disrespected in all these different ways. So they go and they try to, best they can, prepare the body. They, they cut the rope that he was bound with. Um, and after that, they're kind of at a loss. They don't really know what much more to do. They just try to, to lay him in a respectable way. And as they go to walk away, they hear the crack of the table. And they look around. There's no body. But then behind them, they see, or they hear the voice of Aslan. And he explains to them this Though the witch knew of the deep magic, there was deeper magic still. What she did not know is that when a willing victim who committed no treachery at all is killed in a traitor's stead, death itself would start working backwards. Parallel to Scripture, we know that the women go the following day, um, oh, I'm sorry, not following day, uh, in a couple days, they go into Jesus' tomb and they find that the stone has been rolled away and there's nothing there. So, our next scripture is going to be Acts chapter 13, verses 26 to 33. Brothers, son of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of the salvation. with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, "You will not let your holy ones see corruption." For David, after he had served the purpose of God and his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to continue on um, all the way to verse 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this main forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Um, Our final final few scriptures, is going to be Romans chapter 23, uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, verses 15 to 23. What then? Are we to to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Impurity into lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again we read here in the line which in the wardrobe, and we understand Edmund's trespasses. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God that He has provided a way for us to be reconciled with Him through His Son. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you so much for the work um, that you have done, that you sent your Son um, just, to just be the substitute for us, Lord. Um, we could not have done anything of ourselves to be reconciled with you, Lord. We needed somebody who lived a perfect life, who laid down their life for us, Lord, as we see um, portrayed uh, in the line which in the wardrobe And um, we're just thankful for your love, Lord, and that you have decided to do this for us. I pray that we would, uh, in response, Lord, lift our voices up to you and worship you and praise you, because you are all deserving. I ask all this in your son's name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, Checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipie, New Hampshire, 03890.